0: G-I-R-L-S-C-A-M-P,
1: it's Girls' Camp. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Girls' Camp, or welcome back. It is me, Haley Roll, your host. And today's conversation I found to be an incredibly enlightening one. I keep thinking about so many different things that today's guest, Christian Snuffer, taught me in course of this conversation. Christian Snuffer is a CMHC, what does that stand for? Clinical Mental Health Counselor. So essentially a certified therapist and he talks about a lot of things. He's also post-Mormon himself, so we talk a little bit about his story and then we talk particularly about psychedelic assisted therapy and How Psychedelic Assisted Therapy Can Help Specifically With Religious Deconstruction and Mormon Religious Deconstruction. And I am so excited to finally have had this conversation because I know that it is something that many of us are really intrigued by, feel kind of drawn to, or curious about in the post-Mormon space, but I wanted to be sure that when I broached the topic that I was doing it with someone who knew their shit, and Christian definitely does. He has personal experience, he has experience in the field of therapy, and he's also just such a cool person to talk to because he straddles this really fine line between the clinical therapeutic side of things and the spiritual kind of magical side of things and we talk a lot about that as well but I just think he was the perfect person to speak to the subject I think you are all going to love it and learn a lot whether or not you are interested in the psychedelic thing we talk about a ton of other stuff too I wanted to do a quick little campfire chat just to say thank you for hyping me up on the rebrand I released the new cover of Girls Camp on Monday, and I don't know. It's just been so fun. I'm trying not to make more of a big deal of a rebrand than needs to be but honestly it felt like a really important milestone for me i think the old cover was something i actually had bentley take a photo of me in our living room super last minute one day it was a much quicker kind of mock-up i i also loved my old branding as well but as far as the cover goes specifically it was just kind of thrown together so to have the time and space and enough reason to feel like girls camp deserved a new cover just was really fun and really exciting and I think it turned out so well it is everything I envisioned and more and I'm also so 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 grateful to all of the people who helped make it happen so you are now going to see a brand new cover for girls camp that I think much better reflects who I am and what girls camp is about and thank you again for being excited with me about something Maybe seemingly trivial like a rebrand, but of course, I'm going to make it a little more important than that. And here is the conversation with Christian Snuffer. Welcome, Christian, to Girls Camp. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. We were just talking about this, but I feel like psychedelic assisted therapy mm-hmm. is a very hot topic in mm-hmm. post Mormon spaces. For sure. Which I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on why the post-religious deconstructing group might gravitate towards psychedelic-assisted therapy. So we are going to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into it, I would love, first of all, if you could just introduce yourself. Who you are, where you live, what you do.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, my name is Christian. Um, I grew up in Sandy, Utah, so I'm very familiar with the culture and the place. Today, currently, I work as a mental health therapist. I run a practice up in Salt Lake City, And uh, I've been doing that. I've been working in some form of behavioral health for like, I don't know, almost 10 years now. Mm. Um, I came from the wilderness therapy world, which I love, but I've kind of strayed away from that and have gone into more just kind of like individual, really, really what it came down to is I wanted to work with people who wanted to be there Mm. Uh, in the wilderness and residential worlds. You're working with teens and adolescents who don't want to be there. Yeah. And that gets really tiring. So anyway, I've kind of like reoriented. And and so now I I work in private practice. I get to be pretty choosy on who I work with. And everyone who comes to me wants to be there, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I didn't even (laughs) think of that distinction, how huge that would probably be in a therapeutic setting, particularly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So let's talk about before we get to the the therapy stuff, the psychedelic-assisted stuff, I would love to hear kind of your context mm-hmm. as a Mormon, since this is a post-Mormon For podcast. Sure. And I think it's always interesting. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about our interview. I love interviewing experts, like people who are experts in in their field, but I also think it's really fascinating to get – kind of that context of mm-hmm. religion and Mormonism, because as I'm sure you see in your practice working in Utah, it informs a lot of things mm-hmm. about us and how we see the world. And I'm curious how it kind of intertwines with how you chose to do what you do today and all of that. Mm-hmm. So if you could give your Mormon story in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wanna preface it by saying that I never, I never in a million years could have told you that this is what I would be doing. It very much felt like a just kind of a natural unfolding path that got me here. Mm. Um, so let me like kind of have that as like a, a overarching caveat. But yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Sandy, like I said, just very normal, traditional Mormon background. Went to church every week. Went to Young Men's. Did the whole thing. There was never any kind of deviation from that path, and it, it was kind of just very textbook, uh, cookie cutter. Utah cultural Mormon experience. Mm.
1: You had eight siblings, you told me.
0: I did have eight yeah. siblings. Yeah, so there was a lot of kids in the house. Um, but the, but also that just felt like normal, right? Yeah, like it's
1: fairly typical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's what it is around here. Yeah, uh, but I would say that I was never really like like in it. In it, I I did all the right things, but there was never like this pull either way. And and there also wasn't the like anti kind of thing either. It was mm. just like. This is what we do, so I just kind of go along with it, and I do it. Yeah. By the time I was graduating high school and getting ready to move on to the next steps, I had one brother who went on a mission and one brother who did not. And ironically, the brother who went on a mission came home pretty quickly, left the church. The brother who didn't go on a mission, and he wanted to, but he wasn't worthy, you know, Uh quote-unquote. He couldn't. He couldn't. His, like, testimony and, like, belief in the church was just, like, solidifying every step of the way. So that was interesting. That
1: is interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So I kind of feel like I had an out either way. I also played baseball at the time and Mm. my dad just loves baseball. And so he was like, if you have an opportunity to play baseball, don't worry about a mission, go play baseball, which I did. Um, I had an opportunity to do that. I often wonder like if I didn't have that out, like what decision would I have made?
1: About going on a mission. Yeah. Well, even yeah. having an out, that's still a pretty huge decision. I for would sure. say growing up that steeped in Mormon culture yeah, to choose not to go on a mission. Do you feel like there was any like social fallout from that? I mean, it sounds like your parents were supportive, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: was that a turning point in any way for you?
0: You know, at the time, I probably didn't recognize it as one. But looking back, I think I do. Mm-hmm. Like of my core group of friends, I was one of like two who didn't go on a mission And and you know, the way it is, like people make assumptions like, oh, he says he's just going to college, but he probably was this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that was happening. It never felt like it really like penetrated through me and like got to me personally. But, you know, that's like for sure a a thing. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah.
1: So you didn't do the mission.
0: No, I didn't. So I, so I moved out at 18. I stopped going to church then, but I really just stopped going because I thought it was boring. I was just like out of the house, and I was like, "Hell yeah! I don't have to
1: like sit through this." Do this thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I went to like maybe three single ward meetings in like my whole first two years in college, and it was just like, "Dude, this sucks!" <laughs> like, this it, is so... it is quite boring. <laughs> yeah, and everyone there is all weird and uh-huh. like horny, trying and to like, marry you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too much. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then that kind of just like laid there for a while, like probably about 18 to 23, I still felt a lot of guilt. I'd mm. read my scriptures. I'd still pray. If I went out and drank in college, I'd feel really guilty. Um, if I was involved with girls in any way. So like the, the conditioning was still there mm. and it was still pretty prominent. Mm. Um, and, that, and that persisted. Um, I ended up moving to Hawaii when I was like 23 and I was exposed to a lot of different things out there that I think was like the first moment that kind of opened my eyes a little bit and, mm. and like actually asked me to confront, what is your belief system? And so that kind of, again, it just kind of like stewed there for a while. What and,
1: May I ask what kind of things in Hawaii? Like are you talking about different like paths of life more. or like is there anything specific that started opening that up for you?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. One of the main things is I worked, I went out there to work for a wilderness therapy program. Okay and we would do it was a rites of passage program meaning we like facilitated these ceremonial experiences essentially for these adolescents to like move past their old story
1: hmm.
0: and these these experiences were super ceremonial i mean they were the only ceremony i had been exposed to outside of baptism baby blessings and marriages in the mormon yeah. you know way and so i started that that kind of was like wait like there's different ways of, like, facilitating ceremonies. There are different ways. And it and it can be, like, agnostic. Like, because we weren't, there was no religious bent to any of those ceremonies. Yeah. It was purely, like, a kind of what I would now call, like, a psycho-spiritual transformation. Mm. And so, that was, like, a big light bulb moment of, like, wait, I feel like there's way more.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like even when you stopped going to church, you were still, I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but you are still wanting to pray and read scriptures. Like it seems like you still were attached in some ways to like certain spiritual elements Mm -hmm. without being as attached to like the church thing specifically. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that would be a really big deal and a really cool thing to see, Oh, maybe there's different ways of, of tapping into that.
0: 100%. That of, of all the things that I've gained from Mormonism, I think what I kind of refer to is just like a belief in, in magic, basically, mm, like cool. I've never lost that. My personal opinion is like a lot of people, as they leave, they throw out the baby with the bathwater, mm. and they lose contact with something larger than themselves. Mm. And I, I don't think that's helpful. I think you just kind of revert to another end of the the spectrum. But we can get into more of that. Ooh,
1: yeah, I'm already the- thinking yeah. so many things about that. <laughs> yeah, yes, we'll put a pin in that because. Yes. So many thoughts on that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'll finish my story real yes, quick. Yes. Great. So uh, around this time as well, um, my dad uh, actually got excommunicated from the church, which was like a huge disruptor in the family. Yeah, and I there was And there was a pivotal moment where uh, he got a letter from the stake president at the time who essentially said, like, you have now uh, damned your family to hell. And that Jeez. was really jarring. But then time went on and I could see how clearly the experience in the home had only improved it had only gotten healthier Mm. we had only gotten more expansive in our ability to tolerate other things like it it was just such a blatant like lie that i was like this is nuts like how can you how can you really think that or say that to somebody yeah you know so So you
1: feel like after the excommunication the family dynamic improved for
0: sure yeah and i look at how my youngest sister was raised um, like post that excommunication and like how she was raised with just so much more balance and understanding and less rigidity and black and white and shame, most importantly. Mm-hmm. You know, there would be like a beer at dinner where like if when I was 15 or 16, that would have been like existential
1: Oh, so bad. crisis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Totally. So she's like 15 and can like taste a beer and it's like super normal. And then she grows up and goes into college and she's not like, repressed and like you know all chaotic so totally it was just so apparent like this feels way healthier wow and so that was a a pivotal thing too of, of like really losing a lot of um faith in the institution yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean like you said it kind of exposes the If you don't have a counterpoint of what a family is like outside of the church, it can be easy to assume all the good things about our family, all the love and all the care stems from Mormonism. So when you take that away and you see, actually, that's all still there. And in fact, it might be easier to access that or, you know, without those layers of shame. Yeah, that's really interesting. Totally. Yeah. So you're thinking, you're seeing all those things. You hadn't been going to church. Was there kind of an end point or a time you chose to really step away
0: yeah that's why i kind of think my my transition well what i now know just working with people it's actually pretty normal but at the time i didn't realize that i was actually in like a a 10-year process Mm. um so it was around the time of like 23 that i also had my first what i would call like intentional psychedelic experience Mm. which really just opened my eyes to like a lot of things way bigger than what's going on but then even that just kind of laid there and then I would say it was all the way till I was 28 or 29 I'm 32 now Mm. when I met my wife and a series of things uh, transpired that that essentially like put me in contact with rage like all of the anger that I had never Mm. felt because for all that time from 18 to like 28 I would say I don't go to church. I have no ill will either way. It's what it was. It's where I grew up and I'm totally fine. It was like some things changed. And then I was like, wait, I'm actually really mad about yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah, And uh, that's kind of been my work the last three or so years of like integrating that rage, like uh, channeling that appropriately and, and also just feeling it. I think when it stays repressed for so long, like you can't, you can't move through the process until that all comes up. So it's been long and drawn out, but also like I didn't know it was happening, which is I actually think that's very common. Yeah, that's (laughs) interesting
1: to hear you talk about that, because I feel like I can relate hearing multiple people's stories where it's kind of like you said, in retrospect, you start to see these points of your journey and you see where they were pushing you. Mm -hmm. But while it's happening to you, you don't see it that way. I also so appreciate how you spoke to that experience of the kind of dormant rage. Mm -hmm. I feel like talking to, I talk to a lot of women and I talk to a lot of women on the podcast. And when I talk to men, sometimes not on the podcast, I feel like I sense much more frequently in men, post-Mormon men, this thing that you were describing before you entered your rage phase Mm -hmm. where men, I'll talk to certain men and they'll be like, you know, like, It is what it is. It's whatever. I was Mormon. I'm not Mormon anymore. And I don't know if this is a bad thing that I think this way. And I'm always psychoanalyzing people, which I probably shouldn't be doing. But I kind of think, does not there need to be a reckoning at some point? And uh, you know, obviously, everybody's experience is different. So I'm not saying everyone needs to have that same experience you laid out. But I do find it fascinating that sometimes I feel like people particularly men mm-hmm. kind of act like I was Mormon whatever I'm not anymore which to me feels so impossible to not have some sort of reckoning with all of what that meant but I wonder with men if it's something that is harder to access or if it's easier because of all of the you know messaging around masculinity to just like pretend that it mm-hmm. didn't affect them or something
0: yeah i think you're i think you're hitting on like gold and I think you can trust your intuition. Mm. I think that you're, I think you're right. Yeah. And and as my experience as a therapist, like, I think a lot of men have a really hard time touching that anger.
1: Mm. And this gets
0: very psychoanalytic because I think what it requires them to confront is that they're not only angry at the church, they're really angry at their parents. Mm. And they don't want to touch the, the like, honor thy father and mother yeah. is, like, too ingrained where they believe... I have to only feel good things toward them, and if I allow myself to feel any sense of negativity, I'm not honoring them. Yeah. Um, so I think it's intimately tied, and I think you're right. And I think there are a lot of times where I'm sitting with you know a man in my office, and they're we're going through kind of post-religious work, and I just want to say like, dude, you're angry. Yeah. But you've got to <laughs> like, let hello. them. Yeah. Like, Gotta let them come to that conclusion yeah, themselves. Totally. But I think you're right. Oh, that's
1: so fascinating. I've never really connected it to the parent piece. Mm-hmm. And I can so see that, feeling this, yeah, the honor thy father and mother. They don't want to say, My parents raised me in a way that didn't feel right good in right. in multiple ways. Do you think there's an element of that too with just this is maybe a more general kind of obvious thing, but just men wanting to be unbothered <laughs> and sure. just like, oh, who cares? It was fine. Mm-hmm. I it I don't have to. I don't know. There just seems to be this kind of element and maybe even like a pride element sometimes of really, I think reckoning with the rage, at least for me, was also reckoning with I was super wrong about something. Mm. And I really participated and leaned into this thing that now I see as problematic and harmful. And I think there's an element sometimes of like swallowing a pride of I was wrong about something big yeah. and I dedicated a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes perhaps that could be more difficult for men as well.
0: 100%. 100%. I mean because you you essentially have to combat that ego that wants to believe like I knew it was right. I know what was right and I always did what was right. Yes. And and you know to to their credit if you're in this position like that is a huge undertaking. Like mm-hmm. let's not let's not minimize that. We essentially have to like Break down the entirety of what you thought, you know, not even religiously, just like Everything. as a human. so it, it's huge. but it also is. it's like I think that's beautiful because I think on the other side of that breakdown is an opportunity for authentic spirituality yeah and connection.
1: Yes, yeah. let's jump into okay. <laughs> the thing we put a pin in cool. because thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I think that's really wonderful, helpful context. I am so curious how, and maybe this plays into kind of like what it was like for you to deconstruct and then reconstruct. Mm -hmm. I'm curious your thoughts on what you were talking about as far as throwing the baby out with the Mm bathwater, right? Growing up kind of hyper-spiritual, hyper-religious, maybe not even hyper-spiritual, but hyper-religious and then deconstructing a religion. And I have found myself, just to give some brief context on me, I feel like there was a good two years where anything remotely spiritual, even kind of wellness things felt very triggering Hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. I felt very skeptical, very wary, and I just felt like I didn't know how to do anything spiritual Mm -hmm. without it immediately triggering in my brain Mormonism, Mormonism, Mormonism. So when I heard people even using words like ritual or ceremony, like you were saying, I kind of resisted that. And I feel like I still have a bit of resistance. Like that's still something I'm kind of figuring out where I resonate with spirituality, but I would love to hear what it was like for you. Cause yeah. you're already practicing at that point as a therapist. And it sounds like you were, you know, you had done psychedelics before you were involved in maybe these spiritual things. Mm-hmm. What was it like to deconstruct and then maybe like refine the spirituality or how did that work for you?
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, I think what I often see is, yeah, the overcorrection. And I don't, honestly, I don't think I ever really overcorrected. I think I've always been curious enough that like my curiosity was able to kind of pull me through because I wasn't willing to like say no or shut anything down. I pretty immediately started reading just different things, like mostly Buddhism, because that was the only thing that I'd really been exposed to is like. Another belief system outside Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty easy for me to kind of glom onto like aspects of that that just felt really true. And then, you know, I was also in the therapy world at that point too. So we're talking a lot about mindfulness. We're talking a lot about like, I don't know, meditation and creating space. I was able to like grab onto like what I would now regard as kind of just really just behavioral. Things, yeah, that we've pulled out of a spiritual tradition because we say like, oh, that really makes me feel good, you know. Mm. And so we've kind of excised that from from like the traditions that they come from. I don't think that makes them less valuable, but I think that's a helpful starting place for people. I think ultimately you have to reestablish a spiritual center because. It, it, I guess it just gives you access to purpose and meaning, mm. really. Yeah. And that's what most people end up lacking when they throw everything out. Mm. I always, I like describe it as like a spiritual-sized hole in their heart because they're like just kind of in a this nihilistic,
1: mm-hmm. nothing
0: matters, everything sucks, why would I do anything?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's super easy to overcorrect that way. For sure. It really is. Do you think your... Having a psychedelic experience, even though that was kind of before everything came out, was that something that maybe pushed you on that journey? Do you feel like
0: hundred percent? Yeah, yeah. And I and I want to be clear here. Like, I didn't set out looking for that. I wasn't saying like I need to reestablish a spiritual center. Um, a lot of things transpired. I I was familiar with psychedelics at that time. Um, but that experience like, was a, for sure a, a turning point mm. in my life. Yeah. But even then, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to go on to work with psychedelics. I never thought I would do anything with it. I was just like, that was crazy. I, I now understand mm. larger truths that I couldn't be exposed to otherwise. Yeah. Um, and that just kind of, I just let it lie there. like. I didn't do psychedelics again. That was when I was 23. I didn't touch any psychedelic thing for almost six years after that. Wow. Because it was so just like mind blowing that I had to just like be in that for a long yeah, time. Yeah,
1: like let it be. Yeah. I want to go back to the psychedelic thing, but really quickly, I want to ask, how would you describe what you're saying when you say reestablishing a spiritual center? Like, mm-hmm. can you speak to that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. That's a really good question. I think anything that ties you to purpose and meaning, mm. I, I, I don't think it needs to be that elaborate. Um, like for me right now, and this was one of the, probably the most damaging thing that Mormonism did for me was separate me from my body. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of turned my body essentially into just an instrument of shame. Mm. So I describe to people now, like my spiritual practice is being embodied. Like, that's what it is right now. It Mm -hmm. will change, but I'm, like, undoing 30 years of conditioning. So anything I can do to, like, reunite the mind-body is my practice. That gives me meaning right now. Cool.
1: Yeah. Ooh, I love that. I love that because I think spirituality, the thing that I've had to retrain on big time is looking at spirituality. I, I really liked how you talked about it as a spiritual center, as opposed to, and even in your answer, it's not necessarily a checklist of things to do, right? So when I say, how are you reestablishing a spiritual center? I'm sure there are things you're doing to feel embodied, but I like that it feels focused on meaning and purpose Yeah, because I think maybe that's something that makes me skeptical sometimes or is a little bit um, of a turnoff to certain spiritual practices is it feels like it becomes more about the actual thing than about the the goal of purpose and meaning so you know we could talk about like the cold plunge bros or like not that i think (laughs) 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 my husband (laughs) exactly but like i think he he's worked he works with you and so i think he is it does have the intention behind it but i think a lot of people Mm -hmm. think oh if i just cold plunge right then that's the thing right but I love how you speak about it as what's the purpose, what's the meaning. And then there are obviously tons of different modalities to get you to that place. Infinite. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's very individual. That's what I'd say too. Like I think people get too caught up, especially when you come from a religion and you're used to like, a really defined structure, you kind of glom onto like weird shit that is like, I don't think it needs to be that yes. rigid. And if you fall back into rigidity, you're probably just recreating mm. like what you came from.
1: Yeah, you know? totally, yeah. totally. I'm curious with the psychedelics because I was actually having a conversation about this with my mom, funny enough, my very Mormon mom, and I've only done, I've done a small dose of mushrooms And even that was quite life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting hearing you talk about your psychedelic experience because I've found myself since then, when I have felt kind of nihilistic, remembering, wait, Mm -hmm. I felt something else in that particular experience that I had. And just kind of how almost surprisingly life-changing it's been for me Mm -hmm. to realize, wait, I did tap into something, there is something. And for me, the experience was very, very warm and expansive. And so when I found myself kind of in a nihilistic place, I've been able to kind of remember, wait, I think there's something that I can tap into that's not this. Totally. (laughs) kind of hopelessness and despair thing. So anyway, the the reason I bring that up is because I was talking to my mom about this and my stepdad, who's very Mormon as well, is really curious right now about psychedelics. And my mom is skeptical. And she said, I just feel like it's, it rings to her kind of like a cure-all thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I'm curious your thoughts on that because as I was saying, so many post-Mormons, particularly are super, super drawn to the modality of psychedelics. Like, I feel like people ask me about it all the time. It just seems like something that people are really drawn to. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, I'm asking like four questions in one, but I'm curious why you think post religious people are maybe drawn to that Mm -hmm. and what your thoughts are on kind of if that can be a dangerous thing, if people think it's the cure all kind of end all be all.
0: Yeah hundred percent. I think this is probably like the biggest barrier I deal with in my practice is people coming to me and thinking, oh, I'm going to go through six ketamine sessions or I'm going to get information on psilocybin and I'm going to do this and like everything's going to be fixed. Honestly, that doesn't exist. I don't think that exists in any modality. Mm. Like you have to work for it. And I almost, I've almost become like, a little extreme where I think I scare people off because I'm like, I need you to realize like this isn't gonna fix it and it's gonna call you into a larger process of work and integration Mm. that might be really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it might be uncomfortable, but going back to what we were just saying, but I think it will be uncomfortable, but you'll have some purpose and meaning attached to it. Mm. So people come to me all the time who are just like hopelessly depressed. And I tell them like on the other side of this, it is likely you feel better but if you don't change things about your life, like on the ground, if you don't institute new behaviors, you're going to go back to this. Mm. It's not going to just do that. And on the other side, you're going to have to work your ass off, really. Yeah. So I think it's super dangerous. And I think I think it just speaks to human nature and also more, more specifically just to our culture and society that just want instant gratification, quick easy fixes yeah, and you're not going to find it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love how you talked about that because I have found myself, I have felt really curious about doing psychedelic assisted therapy, Mm -hmm. but I've kind of sensed in myself that I'm not ready for it because of the reason you described. I, I feel like I need to do a lot more prep work Mm -hmm. and I keep thinking it's funny because even I actually just started seeing um, a therapist But I keep wanting to just be like, can I just do ketamine or something? Like, is there not an easier way? And I think from what I've heard, it sounds like those, you know, having psychedelic assisted therapy can potentially like push things forward or open things up in new ways. Like it can be really useful, I think. And that's what you're saying. But I also feel like, yeah, you're not just going to. It's not like, oh, if you do ketamine, then you can you don't have to do 3 years of therapy, right? It right. seems like it's a very very much needs integration, I guess. Totally.
0: And I think it yeah, it can. It can it can condense the experience and and perhaps speed it up a little bit, mm. but it it's not going to just fix it. Yeah. Know? And and it never will. Yeah. Um I get really frustrated when people say like yeah i'm just in a really low spot and i'm going to go to this ayahuasca weekend and and i'm really excited cuz it's going to be better yeah it's like dude i i hate to break it to you it's not
1: yeah it's yeah. a lot more than that totally what do you think the benefits of psychedelics are in a therapeutic setting
0: yeah so i'm excited to talk about this i don't really want to talk about it from like the clinical scientific lens yeah that's that's for sure valuable and like that's uh, we should be informed on that. And I am informed by that, but it's not what's exciting to me. Yeah, you know? like, let's
1: talk about the exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can sit here and
0: tell you like biochemical benefits of all these things, which is great, but I'm more interested in like the spiritual aspect. Cool. You know, so it, I think like we need to kind of divide psychedelic experiences. Um, we'll, we'll just keep it simple into like transpersonal. So mm-hmm. basically things beyond you, like stepping into realms of what I would call God, and consciousness and like unity you know like when people say like um the universe like these kinds of things where you're tapped into energies that are just so much bigger than you Mm -hmm. and they kind of force you to confront the reality of your smallness Mm. but i'd almost say that in like a like that's not smallness in like a bad way that's like smallness in like whoa the things that I think are really important and really matter, and the things that I latch onto as like not working, are actually so trivial mm. that it's silly that I've put any of my mental, emotional energy toward this. Yeah, um, connecting you with larger experiences of love, like that's a very common experience to come out and realize, whoa, I am just love, and all of these things that have been keeping me from loving other people and loving myself are irrelevant. They're just stories. They're just narratives. So they have the ability to kind of like just separate you. Well, it's just turning the ego off, basically. Mm. They get to turn the ego off. And so you get to just kind of be pure, like uncontaminated love, basically. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So cool. Even just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, "Mm, that (laughs) sounds really nice. It does sound nice. (laughs) It's, I mean, even just thinking about that perspective shift, right? Not even under the influence of psychedelics is is huge it's it's funny because hearing you talk about it i was thinking about um just the mormon framework and how i think in the mormon framework they encourage an eternal perspective Mm -hmm. right and that's kind of as close as it maybe gets to what you're talking about to like feel that connection to something greater than yourself Mm -hmm. but it's so 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 deeply conditional for sure You can have eternity, you can have love and God, but you have to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Right. And so to even hear someone talk about that connectedness without those conditions, it's crazy how good that that feels, you know?
0: For sure, yeah. And and that you can access that now. I Mm. mean, that's the thing about Mormonism too. It's like, Do everything right so that when you die, you can reap the rewards. Yes. Which is just a crazy way of, like, distorting time. And I think it inherently, like, separates people from the present moment. Yeah. Which, again, is kind of what I was saying of, like, being embodied, like... There are a lot of reasons for that, you know, shame, guilt, all that stuff, but also just like the relationship to time. Like Mm. you can experience that now. You don't have to wait till you die. And I think to their credit, like probably doctrinally, that's more what it is saying, but it's like all skewed through the institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So you're saying there's the transpersonal. Is that what you called it? Yes, yes, transpersonal.
0: And then more like... I don't know what I would just call like pragmatic, um, because like transpersonal are also what people are talking about when they're talking about, you know, quote unquote ego death Mm. or like a heroic journey, um, like high dose experiences that really just kind of blast you off. Yeah. Um, then there are more just kind of like, yeah, the pragmatic, like lower dose experiences that are very insight based, like oh, I can see how this pattern is not making sense in my life and I need to intervene and do something different. Or I can see how I'm carrying like this level of anger that is not helping me move forward mm. in whatever way would be best for me, my family, and the people around you around me. Mm. So it becomes a little bit more, I would say it's like closer to the ground a little bit. Yeah. A little bit easier to say like, how do I put that into my life? What do I need to do? Because the transpersonal ones, if I come back to you and I'm like, Dude, Haley, I just went to the center of the universe, and I am pure love. Yeah, you know, and it's like, that's cool, Whoa. man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what What do we do with that? Uh huh. You know. Yeah. And so you've uh, got to like, and you
1: got to go to work tomorrow, yeah. and you got to, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about when I um, took a small dose. That's very much what it felt like to me. I remember I was I was on the beach and I was looking at the ocean and the waves, and I was thinking. I was thinking about how the earth operates in a very cyclical Mm -hmm. nature. Like kind of the earth has its own clock and its own time. And I was thinking about how much in my life I feel that I find myself resenting. Okay, the babies are awake. Okay, Mm -hmm. now I have to do this. Now they need to be fed. Now I need to be fed. Now I have to go do this. And I was kind of in this place where I could watch the earth move. And I realized, oh, why do I resent these cycles of my life they're just as beautiful they're just as kind of natural and Mm -hmm. it that's the way the world works right there's night and day and there's tides and i realized oh these things i'm doing in my life going and waking up my children and feeding them breakfast those are actually really beautiful things Mm. that i think can actually bring me in line with something greater as opposed to being like this is the shit i have to do to get things done and it was an insight that you know saying it now I can feel it in a different way because of something that I felt connected to that I'm not sure I would have gotten there at least that quickly without some help.
0: (laughs) See, that is a beautiful, beautiful example, because what what I would describe happened there is like you had the felt sense experience. It wasn't just an intellectual understanding. Mm. It was a deep feeling probably throughout your whole body. I am not separate from nature mm. and nature moves in cycles and that is beautiful and that is okay. Mm. You know, we could read that. You could read that and yeah. we could agree with it and be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and then you go back the next day and the ego takes over because it only existed here. You, yeah. didn't, you didn't feel it.
1: Yeah. And so
0: that's, yeah, that's a beautiful example and that's often why uh, Psychedelic speed up the process because they give you the felt sense. Yeah. It's tied to the body. Yeah.
1: I was going to say so much of it comes back to the body.
0: It all comes back to the body. Which
1: is crazy. Yeah. I actually had this experience, this lovely girl. I did a photo shoot for a girls camp and she was doing my makeup and she was telling me kind of her story. And I think I was talking about, she was talking about doing, um, what's it, it? Breath work mm-hmm. where you like over oxygenate the brain and she was talking about it. And I was like, it's so interesting for me because even hearing her talk about it, I was saying it kind of scares me. Like getting embodied, I think really freaks me out for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And she literally, as she's doing my makeup, she like puts my own hand on my heart and she was like, you're safe in your body. She like said that to me and I've I feel like I'll cry, but I was like getting my makeup done and I was like, oh my gosh, like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is that such a radical concept to feel like I am safe in my body? And I feel like I so appreciate the way you were talking about that with your Mormon experience, too, because I think we do many of us get really disconnected from our bodies Mm -hmm. on so many levels. I mean, there's obviously like the sexual thing I think is the most obvious one, but I think it goes so much deeper than that. And for it to be such a radical experience to just be like, I'm safe in my body. I'm like, damn, I've got a lot of work to do totally. because I I don't think I had really understood the disconnect of that. And I think that's why with psychedelics, now I'm just getting a free therapy session yeah, from yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah. thank you. No but nice. I feel like that's why from psychedelics, I think I'm not ready yet because I haven't been, I think the embodied sense yes. of it, I need to like prepare for yeah. because it sounds kind of intense. Yeah. I think, at, you know, those higher doses you were talking about, I think it would be kind of like a zero to, a million for me. Totally. And yeah, to your point, I feel like that is something that I I don't know if you've ever seen this experience either, but potentially jumping in the deep end could maybe be counterproductive if you're not prepared for it.
0: 100%. Yeah. I you're very intuitive. I mean, trusting your intuition there, I think is really wise. And you're right. I I actually I think it goes beyond even Mormonism and religion, and we could do a whole other podcast on this. But like the separation from the body, I think is the fundamental issue with mm-hmm. our culture. And I will just say like one thing um, without going too far down the rabbit hole. But if you just look around at the level of numbing and dissociation that we do through our phones, through drugs, through drinking this freaking coffee, through mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, through TV through, like all of that is just numbing, 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 numbing. And I think the reason why we do that is because our bodies are so uncomfortable because there's something, we're not living aligned with whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, And I, and I would not even be ever presumptuous enough to say what you're supposed to be doing. That is what each individual person has to figure out. Mm. But I can tell you it's probably not mindlessly consuming being on autopilot and like just living this zombie life, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, like that is I think the fundamental challenge in front of all of us. Yeah. To your last point about jumping in before you're ready. Um, so like just um what what's the word I'm looking for? Just like psychologically, so one of the last areas of defense that we have is dissociation, meaning like I my system is totally overwhelmed. I don't have any solution here. So I'm just going to dissociate. And we just kind of like float away and you kind of exist up here in the clouds. We all do it. It's a very normal thing. It becomes a problem when it's chronic, when you live your whole life dissociated. So sometimes when a person is not prepared for a psychedelic experience, they go into it and it's perceived as threatening. And so they dissociate. So I hear this all the time. I took like x amount of grams I took like eight grams of mushrooms and i didn't feel anything what is wrong with me do i just need to take more do i need to do this or it just they just don't work for me what i think is happening in a lot of those cases is it's just ex- the body the psyche is experiencing it as threatening and so they just dissociate Completely dissociate nothing happens wow. and the inverse is true as well when someone well i don't know let's just say when someone is like really prepared they take a gram and they have blast off mm-hmm. heroic style ego death journey. And you're like, you didn't take that much, but I think there's something about their psyche that's prepared
1: crazy to go to
0: that place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so crazy. Cause that woman doing my makeup, she said t- something she said to me too, cause she has gotten really into like a lot of different kind of energy work. She said, your body is really good at protecting you. So like in that case with dissociation, it's like, if your body knows it, it can't fucking do that. Like, it's going to send you elsewhere, which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool to think like how powerful and intuitive our bodies are. Mm -hmm. And to tap back into that is really, really powerful because yeah, she was saying with that breath work thing, she was like, yeah, like she had a really significant experience, but she's like, I feel like my body was kind of like knew what I could handle. Yes, And I was like, wow, I'd never thought about that either.
0: 100%. We say all the time, like Let's trust the medicine. Like, yeah. let's, let's let that dictate the experience because we're and then we're essentially just saying let's trust your, yes. your body. Yeah, you yourself. Yeah. yeah.
1: So why do you think post-religious people are so drawn to psychedelics? Mm-hmm. And what do you think the benefits can be of doing psychedelics as someone deconstructing a religion and potentially the, I mean, I feel like we've kind of discussed some of the drawbacks, but potentially the drawbacks yeah, as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it reestablishes a spiritual center. Really, yeah. I think it kind of opens up. It turns the ego off enough where you can say, maybe I'm more than just this, and maybe I'm more than this singular story that I was told. Mm. And I think. Uh, <sighs> I think people who are raised in religion are so conditioned to needing something to tell them what to do that they're looking for that anywhere. Yeah. And psychedelics have fallen into like a really neat niche where it can be regarded as spiritual. It can be regarded as a sacrament. And so that already is like kind of pinging on like some of their receptors for like I need some some ceremony or something yeah and so they want to step into it and they're hoping that it will kind of give them direction but the thing that I find often which is really interesting is it actually makes them more confused and exposes them to more of the unknown Mm. which is profoundly uncomfortable but again, I think that is part of the process. Yeah. And, and and like, I probably shouldn't say this, but I kind of get a, a sick satisfaction out of that <laughs> like, experience hey. when they come out and they're like, wait, I'm way more confused. I'm like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you
0: are. Yeah.
1: I mean, it makes sense, right? It's, yeah. It, to your point, it's not going to just wrap everything up in a bow. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just like opening yourself up to like possibility and even room for growth and progression. Totally. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, can be deeply uncomfortable, especially for post-Mormons. You're so right. Like, we just want to be, we're so used to being told, this is what you do to be a good person. Mm -hmm. This is what you do to have the ultimate reward. This is how you love. This is how you serve. And to not have all of those answers can be terrifying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's an interesting note to make that it's not just going to like give you answers on a plate
0: (laughs) no but i think what it does do is it makes you uh, typically i mean i I guess i should put that caveat there every experience is different yeah we can't say what it's going to be like but often the people the experience that gives people the most hope is recognizing that you are so much more Mm. than just this body right now Mm -hmm. like you are universal infinite energy and like you will be around and you have been around forever Mm. and so it's not that big of a deal what you're dealing with yes right yes yes
1: that perspective thing every time you say it it's like it almost just like oh yeah it's like turn i think that's probably the point of meditation and stuff right like wait just remember like it's not a big deal it's Mm -hmm. really not a big deal but to your point especially with all of the numbing we do And I think so much of that, especially with social media and kind of the increasing performance that we put on of our lives online and things like that, you can get really sucked into that reality. That's not even that, that's like five steps away from like real reality. And yeah, I just always think I don't envy people who are growing up in this day and age with the social media things. Like, I just think there's so many layers continually being added on of that distance. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to just like lean into it and just go about the motions of life. Yeah, Yeah. just get pulled away. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. What is the difference between psilocybin and ketamine? Mm -hmm. Do you have like any thoughts on recommendations? Like who do you think is a good candidate for either medicine? Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about those, the separation between those things.
0: Totally, yeah. Yeah, so... Ketamine is federally legal. So Mm -hmm. anywhere in the United States, you can use ketamine as like an off-label use for therapy. Um, for, I was going to say for whatever reason, but I don't think it's for whatever reason. In Utah, this is a very, very popular form of treatment, and I think it's because of some of the things that we've been talking yeah. about. Number one, you, uh, Mormons are conditioned to be very receptive to pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. So if it's coming from a doctor, then it's like, oh, it's good.
1: Yeah, it's fine, it's, it's safe. It's fine, yeah. which
0: is going to be so funny when, when psilocybin comes I down know. the line. But that's, yeah. a, that's another conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so uh, ketamine was basically it's an it's a, uh, anesthetic medicine and they were giving it to people. It's been around forever, but they were giving it to people and people were reporting like really psychedelic transpersonal experiences. Mm. Um, they were giving it to them for like to go into surgery and then they're like having this oneness wow. experience and coming out <laughs> on the other side and just like, you know, being more mentally and psychologically healthy. Wow. Um, So they started researching it. Uh, Long story short, they found that it was really effective for treating uh, what they call treatment-resistant depression, uh, which is basically uh, quantified by, like, have you been on multiple antidepressant medications with little to no change? Then ketamine becomes a really helpful alternative. Mm. So ketamine exists in the medical model. Like, uh, any of these ketamine clinics that you're going to, you're going to find a variance of like how, you know, ceremonial or ritual the experience is versus how medical it is. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very medical. You just go and you sit in a chair, they hook you up to the IV, and you have your experience and you leave. Um, not a lot of like preparation and integration work mm-hmm. on, on either side. Some of them, um, I, I, like I would put myself in this camp, is kind of, I, I kind of refer to it as more like a boutique style clinic where it's like it's small it's very intimate a person is going to sit with you the whole time it's going to be a a ceremonial experience Mm -hmm. yeah you're going to kind of go through it that way but one of the reasons why ketamine is so helpful is because it's it's a dissociative anesthetic so i kind of envision this of like if you are dealing with a really let's say heavy depression or a really intense um series of traumas and like getting near that in your normal state of consciousness is like so dysregulating mm-hmm. and so hard to get near ketamine is a fantastic medicine because it kind of dissociates you from it and allows you to kind of be there
1: to touch those things to touch that, those that you're things. not going to allow yourself to. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. The other thing about ketamine though, at a high enough dose, because it is so uh, dissociative, mm. it's like a dream. It's like really hard to remember. Mm. Uh, like pretty quickly within 15, 20, 30 minutes, you're already like, what happened? Like, I remember these little things, but I can't like put it all together.
1: Oh, interesting, yeah. And so
0: that's, a, that's at high doses. But for that reason, I don't really regard ketamine as like a like an insight-based medicine because it's sometimes so hard to bring back stuff that you access on the other side. At lower doses, that's a little bit easier. Mm. But I find for a lot of people, going through ketamine treatments are the first time they're able to touch and get in contact, like we just said, with really deep, repressed, hard, hard things to tolerate. Mm -hmm. And that alone is a very healing process. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: very empowering, I can imagine, then moving forward having done that. And then, how would you that compare that then to psilocybin?
0: Yeah, so psilocybin. I guess what I should say too, and and there's all kinds of opinions on this, but like ketamine is made in a lab; it is a human manufactured chemical. Yeah. Uh, psilocybin comes from the earth; it is grown out of the ground and has yeah, forever,
1: just directly, yeah, directly from the ground. Yeah,
0: totally. So I think that there are, and I'm not alone in this, but I think there are some just like energetic differences in that experience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um ketamine, you don't often have like these oneness with nature kinds of experiences, mm. which is okay, you know. Um and psilocybin, you do. Like psilocybin feels very much like earth medicine. Mm-hmm. Really puts you in contact with the fact that you are a human animal and you're connected and you're not separate yes. from nature. Yeah. Like you kind of described. Yeah. Being totally. On the
1: beach. yeah totally. Yeah. Totally if someone out there is listening and they're interested in a psychedelic assisted route, Mm -hmm. is there some different types of things that you see that you think, Oh, this might be a better option for you. Like what's that like as far as like what you would recommend for different people dealing with different mental things?
0: Totally. Yeah. So this is, this is a little generalized, but I think it's helpful. If you are a person whose mental health issues are keeping them from like keeping you from functioning in your day-to-day life or are like severely impeding your ability to just move through the world kind of easily and naturally, then ketamine is probably a better medicine to help you kind of reconcile what are these huge things in your life Mm. that are keeping you really down. Yeah. If you are like, I feel pretty good about my life. Like there are definitely things that I'm not happy with, but like If nothing changed, I could keep going on this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're really looking at more of like a spiritual expansion type Mm -hmm. experience, then I think psilocybin can be really, really effective. Yeah. I also think for a lot of people who are totally psychedelic, naive, who have never touched it, ketamine is a really good place to start because it's so controlled. Yes. We know what the dosages are gonna do. We know what that experience is gonna be like. And we can really familiarize yourself with like, detaching from your ego yeah because the first time that your ego gets turned off and you have to ask yourself am i even real or who am i Mm -hmm. or do i have kids or a husband or friends do i live in a family like that sounds kind of silly saying it but like those are real things that come up and it is scary oh yeah it's super scary yeah
1: i read that's reminding me of i think it's eckhart toll Toll. yeah what's his is it the power of now now Yeah, I feel like I had that experience just reading that book where Mm -hmm. it's like, whoa, (laughs) like it kind of like pulls you out and you're, because it's so much, oh, and The Untethered Soul as well. Yes, yes, yeah. I was reading those. I was listening, I think, to The Power of Now and reading The Untethered Soul and it was, I kind of had to slow down because it was kind of giving me that, I mean, it's, yeah, it can be hugely beneficial, but I was kind of feeling that, like pulling out of myself, like, who am I? I'm not my name. I'm not my face. I'm not my body. I'm not even my thoughts. Like, then who am I? Right. And yeah, I just think, to the point you've made so many times so well, it's work, right? Yeah. Like these things are beautiful work and enlightening work. And I'm saying that as someone who hasn't even really done the no, work, no. but I, it is work. Like you think, uh, yes. And not to, I mean, there's a di- lot of different connotations of work, but it's not easy to enter these new modalities. Even to be learning about these things can sometimes feel like very disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you said about having a psychedelic experience, because is that not kind of the point, right? To like continue that expansion. I am so curious to talk to you about the spirituality aspect of it, which we've touched on. You Mm -hmm. know, you were talking about having those ceremonies when you were young in Hawaii. I am curious how you relate to the medicine Mm -hmm. as a spiritual practice. And just if you could expound more about where it feels spiritual for you as opposed to like maybe you know you were saying like clinical like I just think it's a really interesting thing to talk about because there's so much overlap totally but I think there are distinctions as well
0: totally yeah yeah I've got a lot to say about this so let me try and please consolidate that in some way I would start by saying I have a mentor who I would consider like an elder he's been in this space for a long time and he told me like Flat out, psychedelics are not a spiritual practice. Mm. So there are people who think, oh, I have a spiritual practice because I use psychedelics every week, month, six months, year, and that is my spirituality. Mm. And I think that the point he's making is really valid because to your point that you were just saying, if that's the only thing that you do, then you just have these isolated moments that exist in like little bits of time and like everything, they fade. I regard psychedelics as a part and a tool of a spiritual process Mm. that can be really helpful. Mm. And so I I come across a lot of people who I kind of view it as like they've, they've hollowed out like more of a, well, I guess this is how I would say it. Like they have outsourced their responsibility to like know themselves, be integrated as a mind body to the psychedelic experience. Mm. And so, and then that kind of like meets that need. So again I think it's a tool. I think it's a tool. For me I have in the last couple of years I've partaken in some ayahuasca ceremonies mm. that are facilitated in a traditional way with a lineage that that traces back to Peru and like the the people who who steward that medicine and those are very ceremonial. You know, you go into the space there's incense, you're singing ancient prayer songs that are like really powerful there are prayers like you're saying prayers to to nature those are profoundly and you know that's like kind of what I think uh, Mormonism is telling you that it can bring you in contact Mm -hmm. with but rarely does because Mm -hmm. it's just been so sterilized so yeah I mean those are very ceremonial and then and then more on the ground for me like I like to facilitate in a ceremonial way even a ketamine session where like you come in and like There's music and incense. We have an opening. We have a meditation, a drop in. You're in the experience. You're coming out of the experience. We're gently like easing your body and your energy back into this space Mm -hmm, and we're mm -hmm. closing it out. And so it's, it's it's not very elaborate, but it's like clear that there's this beginning, middle and you are you know, you're, I'm asking you to come in with certain level of preparation to be ready. So you've been kind of like doing work to get things going before you even show up. Yeah. And I think it it just creates a way, a more, it it just expands the container a little bit and like brings it into your life.
1: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm thinking so many thoughts. Absolutely. I was actually oddly thinking about my dad. He recently passed and he, was in rehab for a lot of his life so i would like go visit these rehabs as a kid and i remember even then being kind of surprised i guess as a mormon child that a lot of times in rehabs there's a lot of for example we went to one rehab we visited him and he was telling us about like they had a sauna and Mm -hmm. they would then like go go cold plunge in the river and then go sauna and that's you know that's pretty like baby steps into kind of like this world but I'm thinking about even like AA, like Alcoholics Anonymous, and how this spirituality thing, I guess just thinking about where spirituality meets, mm-hmm. like clinical, I'm, I'm struggling to even find the word for like this world, but I do feel like there's kind of a compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing that growing up with my dad who had addiction problems, in the world of addiction, they are a lot of times integrating kind of the clinical things, but as well as these kind of like spiritual, more Mm -hmm. like body wellness practices. Totally. And just thinking about how interesting those overlaps can be and how, yeah, again, just the expansiveness of what we can even consider spiritual and how does it qualify as spiritual and that's gonna be different for everyone. It's just like a really interesting thing to think about.
0: Totally. I think one point that feels really important to make so, Mormonism, and and I guess it, it's beyond Mormonism, in, but whatever. I'll speak to that specifically. Mm. Like, we have this idea of goodness. You have to be good and you have to be right, and that inherently forces you to repress and cut off aspects of yourself that don't fall into the category of good and right. Mm. So that's even something like like sadness. I've talked to so many people who are conditioned growing up to believe if I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling angry, it's because I didn't say my prayers this morning Mm -hmm. or I didn't, I wasn't righteous enough this week. And what that's telling a person is there is only like, if you imagine a circle, like there's only this little wedge of that pie that is acceptable and tolerable for you to feel. Mm. And if you're feeling anything outside of that, it's because you're doing something wrong. And so that means you can't be whole. You you've already severed yourself. And so a lot of what I think psychedelics do for people is they they connect them to wholeness. And when people talk about like a bad trip, I think it's because they get put into contact with repressed parts of themselves. Mm. Energies that are intense and scary that like we've been taught like don't don't do that, you're not that, you're not this. And so i I don't know i guess i just really want to like bring that message here like the job is not to be good the job is to be whole Mm. and anything that you can do to get you closer to wholeness um, and the appropriate expression of anger rage sadness all of those things that we think are like bad i think it's a really helpful exercise and psychedelics are one of those things. Yeah.
1: Ooh, that's so powerful because I'm thinking about how you kind of mentioned this. There's a society thing that tells us that. totally, And then there's a Mormonism thing. And I'm just thinking about us poor post-Mormons that are having to deal with this really intense extra layer of that, right? Because society tells you a lot of those same messages, but then Mormonism adds this really, really intense moral value Mm -hmm. to even your emotions, right? Where society might be like, smile a little more. Like, we don't want to hear if you're sad. But then I think the Mormonism layer adds... This worth value element to it that mm-hmm. feels so much deeper and so much more core, yes. where you do feel like I'd never connected it until you put it that way, but you do feel like, oh, I shouldn't be sad. I should be you know, enduring my trials with you know, God gave this to me, and so I this is what I should be doing, and I should do it gracefully and happily right. and I'm just thinking about, wow, that's a lot of work for people who not only have the societal conditioning, but also that added layer of religious conditioning. Totally. It's intense.
0: (laughs) And it goes back to what I said about like men perhaps having to confront their parents. Mm. That is a super normal process. Like psychologically, you have to liberate yourself from your parent because we're, we're so conditioned to just repeat them,
1: Yeah, you know?
0: So psychologically, like, we've known, like, okay, that is a process of individuation, of, like, becoming a whole person, mm. but that requires you to feel anger. And if feeling anger means that I'm doing something bad, then I can't go there. And it's just this whole, like, infinity loop of stuckness. You yeah. Know? I can't think of a more... Um, like a way to guarantee more that you'll stay stuck than to like fight what you're experiencing.
1: Ooh, yeah. The resistance. Yeah. It's always the resistance. That actually reminded me, I wanted to ask your thoughts. I actually feel like marijuana as a plant medicine has been so hugely beneficial for me. Yeah. And I'm curious how that fits into this realm of medicine. I mean, I love how you're talking about ketamine and psilocybin as medicine. I think Marijuana obviously gets a very bad rap generally, obviously within Mormonism as well. But I have found through essentially a plant medicine, a lot of help in like connecting in these ways that you're describing, obviously kind of on a smaller level. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on utilizing marijuana as a medicine. I know it's just like so much more recreationally used. Just curious what your thoughts would be on that.
0: Well, before I answer that, I'm curious, like, what has it helped you connect or get in contact with or
1: i feel like it's more so the kind of like what you were talking about with the perspective shift Mm -hmm. where i feel like when i take a little bit of marijuana usually it's at night and i'm sitting on this couch with bentley and we're watching like a show i can just like laugh and enjoy and i don't have to i think a lot of my issue is i'm very comfortable in my brain I feel safe when I'm like, what do I have to do? What do the, 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 do Like, I'm used to that. I'm used to like thinking a lot, overanalyzing. I feel like I have to do it in order to be a productive person and in order to like stay on top of the things I have to stay on top of. And when I have marijuana, it feels like this experience where I can be like, oh, I don't have to do that. Like, this mm-hmm. is what it's actually about. Sitting on a couch, laughing with my husband, enjoying a show. It helps me have that perspective shift out to pull me out of the like, rat race of getting things done and like just doing, doing, doing.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked you brought that up. I think marijuana is like a tremendously underutilized Mm. plant medicine tool just because it's been in popular culture for so long and kind of segmented into this thing that like burnouts do or whatever, you know, but you're totally right. I think used intentionally, it actually puts you in contact with, a lot of really helpful, it, it kind of uh, just makes you be, it better allows you to be the observer mm-hmm. of your experience and to yeah. kind of like come out and view it a little bit more objectively. I mean, that's that's a little bit of a generalization, but yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I think, I think it's underutilized uh, therapeutically and I think, I hope more and more people begin to kind of use it in that way mm. as as an actual tool for self exploration. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like how you talk about it. I think so much of this is about intentions to me yeah. too, and I feel like that's what you're getting at in a lot of ways with, you know, putting a kind of a ceremony or a ritual around ketamine is to me more so than anything kind of shifts the intentionality behind it, it just feels more intentional For right sure. I was talking about this with my therapist and I was talking about the concept of self care mm-hmm. and I was saying you know self care is such an interesting concept and whenever I'm like oh I'm burnt out I need self care like okay Bentley I'm going to go get my nails done at XYZ time and then I like go get my nails done and I'm like on Instagram that's not actually right. self care right? right and although it's like sure I may be like getting a break the The intentionality isn't there as to like actually care for myself, you know? Yeah. And I think obviously I'm sure that this is a pet peeve of mine and I'm not even a therapist, but just <laughs> the like therapy speak, the buzzwords for that come sure. around therapy of self-care and words like that, where it's like, I think we're using these words and we're saying these things without maybe really being aligned with like the intentionality behind those things and just even what those things actually mean yeah and i can see marijuana being very easy to use both ways like anything right mm-hmm. like you could use it to kind of like numb out and dissociate or you can use it maybe to like reconnect with a different perspective or a different side or something like that
0: yeah yeah like deepen yes totally yeah, yeah I, I your example of the nails it's like we're just like in acting, it's like someone gave you the role. Yes, like the lines. exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. perform this line, and that yeah. is self care. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's pretty hollow.
1: Oh, totally. And I yeah. find it's funny because I'm like, I don't feel better. afterward. Right. I don't feel right. rested. I don't feel like connected. It, if anything, I was thinking about it as I was talking to my therapist. I'm like, if anything, it becomes a to do yeah. on my list, yeah and it stresses me out. Like. I have to go take care of, like, I have to go get a massage or something. I don't know. And it's like, that's not, that seems like very distanced from like what self-care like really is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think we live in a, and that's why I'm so excited to have you on too, because especially in post-Mormon spaces, there's a really interesting thing where we're all very new to all of this. Mm -hmm. And we're even new to, you know, alcohol and new to, you know, marijuana, which is something I think people often encounter much earlier in their lives Mm -hmm. and I think it's really helpful to have someone speaking to it that approaches it very thoughtfully with all of the expertise with all of the experience because I just so badly want to at this stage of my life as I'm like discovering all these new things do it responsibly, first of all, and also intentionally. And I think, you know, there's kind of this stigma around post-Mormons that we're all like acting like teenagers as like 30 year olds because we're like alcohol or whatever. (laughs) But I actually think there's something really beautiful about being able to meet these things, do these things at this phase of life after going through what many of us have gone through, because I think naturally we have we are more naturally inclined to be thoughtful <laughs> about yeah. these things, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And like, there's, there's often this uh, conversation around like recreational or therapeutic mm. and it's a helpful conversation for sure. I mean, I think anytime we're just mindlessly indulging, I would say almost in anything <laughs> that is not great. Mm. Um, I, and I don't mean to present like I never do that. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm a human. Yeah. Um, But I guess I want to just say, like, recreational is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Like, you can. I I told someone this recently. He's like, I'm going to go out with my buddies and we're going to go hike. And, like, I don't know what to do. He was all like, Is this recreational? I'm like, (laughs) dude, like, relax. If you want to bring some intention to it, like, maybe at the start, sit down, speak out an intention, say something you're grateful for, and, like, build a stack of rocks and then go hike. And when you come back, deconstruct the, the stack of rocks and say thank you to the medicine in the earth. Mm. Boom. You added a little bit of intention. Yeah. You spent the day with your buddies and you probably had a great time. Yeah. So I don't want to like scare people away so much of like, don't ever do this outside of a therapist's office mm. or with someone trained. Like they're different tools for different things. And yes, adding intention to anything is always yeah. better. Ooh,
1: I love that, that note too, though, because... I'm realizing at part of what I bring to this of my own Mormon baggage is it can be okay just to have fun yeah, like to have a nice experience. And I mean, like alcohol is a better example of that because it's not a medicine and it's actually like kind of, it's a poison, poison. but (laughs) it's like, in my mind, I'm like, you have to be obviously so careful around alcohol. My dad's was literally an alcoholic my whole life. I know that very well, but like, To have a drink occasionally just to have fun, even if it's not great for your body, in my opinion, is like such a gift outside of Mormonism. And I think, I'm curious if you've experienced this too, but you do see people sometimes, like you're speaking about that overcorrection, but I think there's maybe sometimes also an overcorrection the other way where people become like really intense in this wellness spiritual space in a way that's equally rigid. Mm -hmm. And it's like that feels just as rigid and confining as, and and I mean, anything can be that way, right? It's just like anything can become a really rigid box. But I don't know, I do see people sometimes swing that way where I'm like, to me, that's one of the fun things about being post-Mormon. It doesn't all have to be good for you all the time. Like you can just enjoy it, you know?
0: Totally. Yeah. I think uh, think we underestimate the like psychological and social benefit of having a drink with friends yes like cool physically biologically we can quantify this as unhealthy but it's probably outweighed by like the connective energetic experience of, absolutely like, being with people
1: absolutely same
0: with just like eating a freaking piece of cake or yeah, whatever it's 100%. like 100 yeah
1: it's like a balance and a moderation right yeah i think that's a really good note yeah i so appreciate This conversation. It was different than I thought in the best way. Cool. And I feel like I'm super glad that we spoke so deeply to that spiritual element of it too. I just feel like it answered so many questions I have. And I just appreciate, I think... You have such a cool perspective on all of this.
0: Yeah, well, I'm very grateful to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm so
1: glad you're doing the work that you do. I'm sure it's not easy. I was also thinking that as you were speaking, I'm like, man, it's a lot. And not to compare myself in any way, shape or form, but I feel like doing this is like you get a lot of the stories of what a lot of people have dealt with and it's heavy. Yeah, It's really heavy and that's not even in a therapeutic setting. So I'm just super glad that, you're doing the work that you're doing for people that just obviously are much in need of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It requires a pretty high level of self care.
1: Yes. You're getting your <laughs> nails done yeah. frequently. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoy it. It feels like a calling um, Yeah. and the, the universe led me here. And so I'm just going to do it as long as it feels good.
1: I love that. Yeah. Any final notes, any parting words you wanted to share, anything we didn't touch on?
0: I don't think so. I think we covered it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Christian. Yeah, thank Chris- you. Maybe you should say Christian Snuffer mm-hmm. yeah. and Attunement.
0: Yeah, Attunement Psychotherapy. Um, yes. You can find me on um, Instagram at Attunement Psych, and then my website is attunementpsych.com. Yes. Yeah. You're
1: doing great work. Thank you so much for coming to Girls Camp. Yeah. Bye, everyone.